Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. If you have your Bibles, throw with me to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, we are jumping in back again to the book of Acts. If you know, we've taken a few uh, months and been in the Old Testament. We were in the book of Ezra for a while. We were in the book of Ruth for a while. Now we're going to go back about a year ago. Does anybody remember a year back we started the book of Acts? And uh, we're a little over halfway there. Amen. And uh, so that's where we're at today. Look, the book of Acts kind of up to this point has been about two churches, really. If you kind of have to boil the, the story, the plot line down, it's been about two churches. Let me show you those two churches. We'll look at a map here so you can see the location where these two churches are. The first one that we've talked about is in Jerusalem. Do you see Jerusalem down there near the bottom of the map? Yes. Okay, thanks. All right, good. <laughs> I know I was gone a week, but okay. So, so down at the bottom, that was the first church. Jerusalem is the place where Jesus was crucified. It's where he rose from the dead. It's where the day of Pentecost happened, where the church started. And basically, chapters 1 through about 12 of the book of Acts are primarily about what happens in that church, the first church. It's in a region called Judea, and almost everybody that's a part of that church is Jewish, that's their ethnicity, that's their culture, that's their background, that's their history, that's who they are. Once you get to, I think we're introduced in chapter 11, but then starting with chapter 13, a lot of the story shifts to what begins at the church in Antioch. Do you see Antioch up there at the very top? Yes. An area called Syria? It starts to talk about that church. Whereas the church in Jerusalem is mostly Jewish, the church in Antioch is mostly Gentile or largely Gentile. So they're very different in their background, in their culture, in their customs, and it's out of this church that the missionary movement starts. And if you remember when we were in chapters 13 and 14, we talked about Paul and Barnabas's missionary journey that they went out on. They were launched from that church in Antioch. So you have these two very different churches that the book of Acts is about. One's primarily Jewish, one's primarily Gentile. And when we get to Acts chapter 15, we see what happens when these two churches meet at a crossroad. So let's look, Acts chapter 15, beginning with verse one. It says, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some of the other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. One just kind of interesting note. Did you notice that Jerusalem on that map was on the bottom and Antioch was at the top? And it said here that they went down to Antioch and then they went up to Jerusalem. Did you notice that? Is that right? <laughs> well, it doesn't make sense to us because we think you would go up to Canada and you would go down to Mexico. Isn't that the way we think about it? See, this wasn't a matter of geography. It was a matter of elevation. See, Jerusalem was a city that was in the hills. And everywhere in scripture, when you hear about people going to Jerusalem, it says, no matter what the north, south, east, west direction they came from was, it says that they went up to Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? So it's not that they didn't know the geography, they taught about it a different way. So when they went down to Jerusalem, they were going up to Jerusalem. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's what we see here. So what happened? There's a group of people from the church in Jerusalem that went up to go down to Antioch. And when they did that, they went and they were people who believed in the Jewish customs, the Jewish traditions, and they were watching people get saved and become Christians in Antioch. And what they said was, 
It's good that you're coming to Christ. It's good that you're believing in Jesus. It's good that you want to be a Christian, but to really be saved. And isn't that what's at the heart of the matter? At some point, you need your sins forgiven. You need to be right with God. You need to be delivered from death. You need to be saved. At some point, if that's what you need, it's not good enough for you just to go to church. You have to become Jewish like us, they said. In fact, these people were referred to in other points in Scripture. If you read the book of Galatians, they're referred to as Judaizers, people who came and said, if you want to be saved as a Christian, you must choose to be Jewish if you're a Gentile. So that's where circumcision comes in. That's where following the laws of Moses come in. They say the only way for you to be saved is also for you to choose to be Jewish. This was an interesting thing because they come and they say this, that's rattling these people who are Gentiles in Antioch who have put their faith in Jesus Christ and now they're hearing that's not enough. It's not just to believe. If you really wanna be saved, you've gotta become like us. And you know who didn't like that? Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas are like, time out, time out. If you remember, they're leaders in this church. And they're like, that's not right. Like there's certain things that we can agree to disagree on you might have a different opinion on something, and Paul and Barnabas say, hey, not this. This is not one of those things. You know, some things are worth fighting for, right? Right? <laughs> like sometimes there's a difference between simply having a concern and living according to principle. Let's say this, let's say you and I are having dinner. It's, it's late one evening, so it's, it's after nine o'clock, and we're, we're wrapping up our dinner together, and you say, you know what, I think I'm gonna order a cup of coffee. I might have a concern about that. Like I might look at you and go, do you know how late it is? You drink this cup of coffee, that caffeine might keep you up at night. I have a little bit of a concern for you. And you would say, hey, that's none of your business. <laughs> and if you don't want to sleep that night, that's fine. Maybe your secret for falling asleep is listening to one of the messages at ToledoCalvary.org. That's fine. I get that. Okay, cool. I have a concern for you, but it's none of my business. But if instead you and I are having dinner and we get to the end and you say, you know what? I think I'll drink one more beer after you've had multiple beers and you're already a little impaired and I know you have to drive home. Now it becomes more than a concern, doesn't it? Yeah. Now it becomes a matter of principle. Because I'm not just concerned about you, it becomes moral, it becomes ethical, it becomes a matter of safety, it becomes a matter of my concern, not just for you, but for other people and my own safety. So now it's not just a matter of, hey, you can do what you want. Now this is something that I need to speak up about. Does that make sense? Paul and Barnabas look at this and they say, this isn't just a concern, this isn't just some little theological thing that we can agree to disagree on, this is foundational. We'll fight for this one. And so when this sharp disagreement came up, they decided to go back up to Jerusalem. And they went to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was the headquarters city. It's where the church started. It's where the church leaders were. It was the place where they found authority and accountability, which are important things within the church. That's why as a church, Calvary's a part of a group of churches, a fellowship of churches known as the Assemblies of God, because that authority and that accountability is, is a really healthy thing. So they said, we're gonna go to Jerusalem, and we're gonna talk about these things. And that's why they went to have this meeting. There's something we'll miss if we just look at the history here. There's something big that's going on here. In this passage of scripture, there's two big questions that are being considered here. And I wanna talk to you about these questions today. They're really important. If you're taking notes, you might wanna write them down because it's at the very heart of what we're looking at today. The first question that they're considering here, these are two important questions from Acts 15. The first is this, number one, how is a person saved? The first question that's being asked here is how is a person saved? Because the Judaizers are coming into Antioch and saying you can't be saved unless you're Jewish. 
Paul and Barnabas are saying, whoa, 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 time out. There's, there's something different than what you're saying here. The first question is, how is a person saved? And the second question is, how does a saved person then live? Once you are saved, how do you live? What does your life look like? Question number one, how is a person saved? Question number two, how does a saved person live? Because these people, these Judaizers that were coming to Antioch were saying, you have to live a certain way. For the Gentile church, for these brand new believers, this was hugely important because it would direct their lives. For the Jewish church, this was really important because it was bringing disagreement and disunity to them. This discussion was really important and what happens next will set the stage for us in Acts chapter 15. We'll be in and out of Acts chapter 15 for the next three or four weeks as we go through this series of messages. Today, I'm just gonna summarize it for you. I would encourage you Go back, here's your homework, kind of read Acts chapter 15 for yourself. I think it'll help you over the course of these next few weeks. But let me just tell you how this story goes. What happens next is Paul and Barnabas travel from Antioch and they go south up to Jerusalem. And as they do, it takes them about 20 or 30 days probably because they stop along the way, they visit other churches, they tell them the good things that God's doing. And then when they get there, there's a meeting that happens. It's the elders, it's the apostles, it's the different people who represent different sides of this disagreement. And they start talking about these things. And the Bible says that they had, you ready for these two words? Much discussion. You ever been in a meeting with much discussion? Can be kind of fun, huh? Sometimes it's a waste of time. Other times it's really important because that's what it takes to get to the heart of the matter. And what's important for you to see here is there was a lot that was at stake in this situation. There's a lot going on here in the church. In fact, in many ways, it would shape the future of the church, what happens here at what's called the council at Jerusalem. And it's good for us to know that this is not an isolated event. There have always been times in the centuries in church history, and I think we live in one of these times right now, where there are things that cause us to ask these same questions. How is a person saved and then how does a saved person live? These are important questions for us to consider. What must a person do if they're gonna know and experience salvation and forgiveness and eternal life? And then once you're saved, what do you do? Or maybe your church experience, if it was anything like mine, it wasn't so much what you do, it's what you don't do. Anybody? Like that's what I've heard more of. What does it look like? And you have to realize that some things aren't, aren't worth the energy to talk about and other things are battles that might be worth fighting for and knowing what it is that we believe. It's tricky because sometimes in the church, we can begin to cloud these things over with our own ideas and not the ideas of scripture. They can be matters of personal holiness, how we dress, how you run a church, what are the proper standards, what are your personal tastes, what do you do with regards to things like food and drink and marriage and sex and what you watch and what you listen to? And how you grow up affects those things. I grew up in a, in a phenomenal church, a great church that in so many ways shaped my idea of what a healthy church looks like. I went to First Assembly of God in Warren, Ohio, and that was the church that I grew up in. And I can remember that back behind the church we had a large building that was used for classrooms for kids. So I was in that building every Sunday, every Wednesday, had a big gym with a big kitchen. We were in and out of that building all the time and it was called the Iker Center. Until I was 18, that was the only church that I ever knew. So when I was a little kid, I just figured every church had an Iker Center. I just didn't know what Iker meant. I just thought it was something that every church did. Every church had a building for Ikering. That's what I thought it meant. 
The reason it was called the Iker Center was because it was named after one of the former pastors. And after he retired, they built the building and they named that in his honor, the Iker Center. But I didn't know that. I thought everybody Ikered, didn't you? <laughs> right, because that was what I learned in my church. I think all of us, especially if you've grown up in a church or if you have preconceived ideas about the church, there are things like that that run through your mind when you think of these things. So there will always be issues that we have to discuss, just like they did at the council in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 15. So after much discussion, kind of as the discussion died down, there was a point that some of the leaders stood up and started to kind of state their case. And the apostle Peter stood up. He said, hey guys, I... I don't know if you remember, but about 10 years ago, there was this time that God took me from Jerusalem and I ended up over in Caesarea and I was in the home of this guy named Cornelius and he was a Gentile. And while I was there, I started preaching and the Gentiles actually got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you remember that? And they're like, yeah, we remember that. And they're like, look, God showed us at that point that what he did in the lives of the Jewish people, he was doing in the lives of the Gentiles too. And they said, yeah, we remember that. And then Paul and Barnabas stood up and they started telling stories about their missionary journeys. And they started telling stories of life change, how as they went places and told people about Jesus, lives were changed and people were saved and there was miraculous things that were happening. And they said, look, these people that are Gentiles are being saved just like God saved the Jewish people. And then a guy named James stands up. This isn't James who was one of the disciples of Jesus. This is James who was the brother of Jesus. His parents were Joseph and Mary. And at one point he had doubted Jesus but after that, he had become a follower. He had seen Jesus at the resurrection. That had changed his life, and now he is a leader, and he is the leader of the church in Jerusalem, to the point that he was recognized for his holiness and his piety, and he stands up to speak, and he does something really wise. When he states his case about while the Gentiles can be saved, he uses scripture from the Old Testament. And he gives them scripture from the Old Testament, and he talks to them about how the Gentiles can be saved just like the Jewish people, and then watch what he says. Do you remember what question number one was? Question number one is this, how is a person saved? Watch what he says, Acts chapter 15, verse 19. My it is my judgment, therefore, James says, and he's speaking actually on behalf of the whole group. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Did you hear that? They're turning to God, they are being saved. And he says, look, we shouldn't make this difficult for them. The fact of the matter is that you don't have to be Jewish to be saved, you don't have to be circumcised, you don't have to follow the law of Moses. He says, we will not make it difficult for them. That is not how they are saved. And we go back to what Peter said just a few verses before, Acts chapter 15, verse 11. Watch what Peter says, he says, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. He says, look, we aren't saved because of what we do. We aren't saved because of what ethnicity we are. We are saved because of what Jesus did for us. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight says this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. We are saved not because of who we are, we are saved not because of what we've done, we are saved because of what Jesus did. The Jewish people weren't saved because they were Jewish, they were saved because Jesus died on the cross. And the Gentiles weren't saved because they became Jewish, they were saved because Jesus died for their sins. And you're not saved because of how good looking you are. You're saved because Jesus died for you. In 2018, the same as it was in the first century, we're saved because of what Jesus did for us. 
Salvation comes through faith alone in Jesus Christ and not by Jesus plus. Do you remember Wave Nunnally that was with us back in January, Dr. Nunnally that was here? That's a, that's a phrase from him. You're not saved because of Jesus plus anything else. You are saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And the more you try to add on to that, the more confusing and actually the more dangerous that it gets. Earlier this month, there was a pickup truck driving down the highway in the state of Massachusetts. And the Massachusetts State Highway Patrol pulled the truck over. In the back of this pickup truck, they were transporting a massive amount of furniture, chairs, cabinets, other items, and they got stopped. Isn't that an awesome sight right there? State, state police posted that, those pictures on their Facebook page, and they said this, before you go driving on the highway, ask yourself what could go wrong. <laughs> Somebody commented on their picture and said, we're so glad you stopped these people, but I bet they're good at Jenga, right? <laughs> look, there's times where you just got to go, look, the more you add to this, the more dangerous, the more wrong it gets. That's true about your pickup truck? It's so true about salvation. Look, salvation comes not because of what you've done or who you are. It becomes because of what Jesus did for us, not because of Jesus plus. It is a free gift that we receive because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. And some of you come from situations, whether it's your religious background or whether it's because of what you've told yourself or what other people have said, that you feel like you have to earn that salvation. You come from Jesus plus mindsets. And the truth is salvation comes through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Because you earned it? No, because he's a God of grace. And he looks at you and he says, I love you so much that I will send my only son to die for you, to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And if you'll believe in him through faith, you can receive that gift. And some of you are here today, and when I talk about forgiveness, you go, need it. When I talk about joy and peace and hope and mercy and purpose, you say, boy, I'd love to find that. And you can search everywhere. The only place you will ever find it is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And at the end of this service today, we're gonna pray. And maybe at that moment, it's a great time for you to say, Jesus, I need to put my hope and my confidence and my trust in you. I'd love it if, if you're in that place and you want to make Jesus your, your Lord and your Savior, that you would stop by our Connection Center after the service. There's friends there who want to pray with you. They have a Bible that they'll give to you, talk with you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But Scripture says it's this easy, that if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. You don't have to earn it. Here's the answer to question number one. How is a person saved? They're saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ. However, James says, look, it's not right for us to burden these Gentiles. He says, instead, here's what we need to do. Look at verse 20. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols and from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. Well, there's a lot there that, that we don't understand. We'll unpack that here in just a few moments. But what he says here is a big deal because he says this. Question number one, how is a person saved? A person is saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Question number two, how does a saved person live? A saved person lives in a certain way because once you're saved, there's a change that happens. Look, understand this. We are saved by faith and not works, but our faith affects our works once we are saved. We are saved by faith and not our works. But once Jesus makes a change in your heart, then that change in your heart by faith changes the way you live. Isn't that true? 
And so as a result of that, we have to think about that. We have to consider that. And what he's saying here is, look, we've got these new believers, and no, they don't have to be Jewish to be saved, but if they're saved, they're gonna live in a different way. And so James says, let's write them a letter. Why a letter? Because he was looking for a pen pal? No, because they didn't have radio, they didn't have TV, they didn't have the internet, they had to communicate this in some way, they had to say it with an authoritative voice, and so they wrote a letter that Paul and Barnabas and these two other guys, Judas and Silas, are gonna take back to the church in Antioch so they will know the answer to these questions. How's a person saved? How does a saved person live? Let me read the letter to you. It starts in verse 23. With them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. Isn't that interesting what they say? They said, look, some troublemakers came your way. Isn't it good to know that the troublemakers thou shalt always have with thee? Like it's just, it's nothing new. Verse 25. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas. Remember that name, Silas. We'll get to that in a couple of weeks. We're sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. Do you hear what he's saying here? He says, look, you don't need to worry about what those people said to you because what you heard before about salvation by faith alone, know that salvation comes by faith alone. How is a person saved? Question number one. A person is saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ. What about question number two, verse 28? It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. He's about to answer question number two. How does a saved person live? Verse 29, you are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. Are you kidding me? That's it? That's all I get? Like, I read that and I have so many questions. I read that and I go, what do you, what do you mean? Like, sometimes people will maybe say, hey, can you do this for me? And you're like, yeah, great. And then they walk away and you're like, but I don't know how to, what do you, where does this, right? You think that way. They knew what this meant. And they had Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Judas to go and help them to understand this. We have to dig in to understand why this is so important. Before we do, let me finish the story for you. Look at verse 30 of Acts chapter 15. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter and the people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Encouraging message? All I read there was, you're okay, don't do these things, peace, right? Isn't that what you, <laughs> isn't that what you read there? But here's why they were encouraged, because now they had clarity. They knew that what they were believing was right and they knew what direction they needed to head in and as a result, it encouraged them. When you have clarity on something, when you get rid of confusion and disagreement, it brings joy and peace. Isn't that true? That's the power of God's word. That's why this, I think this series of messages is so important because there is encouragement and clarity that comes from God's word. So we're gonna look at God's word over the course of these next four weeks and bring some clarity to some of the issues that we face today. Because those three or four things that James told the church, hey, you would do well to steer clear of these things, there's principles that are tied in there, even if we don't understand them today, that will help us with the trending topics that we deal with. Because you know we live in some crazy times, true or false? <laughs> true, right? So how do we live in a social media saturated world? 
And what does it mean to raise Christian children in our culture today? What does it mean to be, here's a word that we use in the church quite a bit, what does it mean to be holy? How do we deal with some of the hot topics of our day? A lot of times people will come up to me and they'll ask me questions like, Pastor, what am I supposed to do about drugs or alcohol or sexual morality? And the truth is, the Bible doesn't answer every question that we have in 2018 explicitly, does it? Like there's nowhere in the book of Proverbs that says, here are the guidelines for using Facebook. Is it there? (laughs) No, it's not there. But it is there in principle. And if we'll understand the principles, it will help us. And and to be real honest, the church hasn't always been super good in helping us, some churches haven't, to deal with certain issues. Because when an issue comes up, the church has a tendency to go, okay, how how do we deal with this? When there's a challenge in our culture, how do we deal with this? Let's reach in our toolbox and let's see what we get. And for many of us in the church, the only tool we've ever had is a hammer. And every issue looks like a nail. And every time we see an issue, our response is, stop it, right? And we just swing the hammer at it. Like, and that's been our response as the church. And the truth is, I think God's word gives us more tools than just a hammer to deal with the issues that we face in our culture and in our day today. So how do we deal with those things? Question number one that we've looked at is this. How is a person saved? We've answered that. They're saved through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that comes by grace, through faith, and that alone. Question number two gets a little trickier, though. How does a saved person live? It becomes a really important question because day in and day out, you and I have to make hard decisions. Are our actions pleasing to God? Are we living in a way that honors him? So what James said to them 2,000 years ago in verse 29 in that letter was really important, not just for them, but I think important for us today as well. So let's go back and look at what he said. Verse 29 of Acts chapter 15, he says, you are to abstain from food. And let, let, me, let me just say this real quick. The reason some of this doesn't make sense to us is because we don't know the context. We don't know the situation. We don't know the history of the day that James is saying this in. So listen to it again. You are to abstain from food sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. If we dig in a little bit and understand the history or the context of what's happening here, it'll help us to know why those three or four things that he mentions are so important. There's three concerns in the context here. In this history, in this story, there's three concerns that are important for us to note because it'll help us to understand why this matters and we'll be kind of unpacking these things over the course of the next few weeks. Context concern number one was this. It was idolatry. One of the reasons that James is so concerned when he says this, why the church sends this letter, is because many of these people who are in the Gentile church, before they were followers of Jesus Christ, they were followers of false gods. They worshiped idols. There were so many other things that they gave their attention to. And one of the things that they want to say to the church is, look, if you're now a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have to make a clean break from all those false gods and those false idols. Do you remember the the first of the Ten Commandments? You shall have one God and serve him only. Do you remember that? So saying, look, this is a big deal. So when they say, look, don't eat food that's been sacrificed to idols, that's because idolatry was such an important thing for them to step away from. Context concern number two is what I, I would just call communion. See, what would happen in the church is at some point, there would be a Gentile believer who would share a meal together. That's how they did communion back in in that time in the church, in homes. And a Gentile believer would sit across the table from a Jewish believer. They came from very different cultures and backgrounds. So for a Jewish person, 
they would not meet, eat meat that had been strangled or that still had blood in it. We'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more in the next couple of weeks. And for a Gentile person, sometimes the way that meat was prepared, if the animal was strangled or still had blood in it, actually had to do with the idolatry and the sacrifices to these false gods. So if they sat down with a certain kind of food, it might offend a Jewish person and it might cause someone who's younger in their faith and still wrestling with idolatry because of everything that was wrapped up in it to stumble and step away from their faith in Christ. So the food that they ate when they sat together actually impacted their lives with each other. Does that make sense? So this was important. So that's why James says, look, it's not because they thought it was gross, it's because he thought it was important. When you sit down with other people, look, don't eat meat that's been strangled, don't eat meat that has blood in it because it could offend the person you're sitting at the table with. Context concern number three is, is this, it's just spiritual maturity. At the, at the very heart of all of this, why the idolatry, why the communion concern? Because James was concerned that these people grew in their faith in Christ and that when tough times came, and you know tough times are gonna come, right? that they were grounded in their faith and they wouldn't fall away from Christ. He knew he needed to give them some guidelines that would help them as they followed him, which is a beautiful thing. Because there's times in life when I just need help. Maybe I'm thinking this because I've, I've just been traveling, but I'm so thankful that when I'm on a journey somewhere where I don't know where I'm going, there are tools that I can use to help me to get there. It used to be, if you remember this, that when you drove, you would have paper with you. Anybody, you remember those things? What'd we call them? Maps, that's it, right? We had an atlas that we would use. My parents, when we would go on vacation, would get a triptych. Does anybody remember those things? The things you fold, and if I had been really good, my dad would let me turn the page on the triptych. It was awesome, right? Then, eventually, crazy technology, we got this little box called a GPS. Anybody remember the box? And that would, that would talk to you, very judgy, you know what I mean? You'd have one of those. Then eventually we got a car that actually had it built into the car that would have the navigation. It was wrong at least 80% of the time, but it was right there, which was great. Then breakthrough breakthroughs within the last decade or so, where's your GPS? Right on your phone, isn't it? Which is awesome. Like it's right here and you can use it. You've got it all the time. Raise your hand if you ever use a GPS when you're driving. Anybody? Yeah, all right, good. Yeah, because I think most of us know how this works. Wouldn't it be awesome it's somehow, we didn't just have a GPS for when we were driving. What if we had a GPS for the decisions that we make in life, for the choices that we have? How many would you love that if you had a GPS for the decisions you make? I'm giving you one right here today. <laughs> Are you ready? Because it's right here in this passage of scripture. I want to give to you a GPS for how to live how to make choices, how to make decisions, because it's right here in what James is saying to these believers in Antioch. Look, here's the way that you make these decisions. Let me just give it to you real quick, a GPS. The G stands for God, the P stands for people, the S stands for self. And if when you are making decisions or when you're trying to decide what action to take, if you will walk through, especially in the tough topics of our trending times, if you'll walk through and consider God and people and self, I think that it will help you. This week, we're just gonna do a little introduction. In the next couple of weeks, we're gonna unpack these thoughts more as we look at other scriptures in the New Testament, as we look at what happened in Acts chapter 15. I wanna help you learn how to use this GPS. We're gonna deal with current topics, and I think each week it's gonna get a little bit more intense as we talk about what's going on in the world and the culture around us. And here's what's really important to me. I don't wanna just tell you how to live. 
Because I think that's been a mistake at times. We just tell people, this is right, this is wrong, just do that. I want you to have tools so you can decide for yourself how God wants you to live. You need principles, not just rules. Because we can observe rules and ignore the reason for them. When I was a kid, I grew up right next door to my grandmother. We lived right next door. And she honestly, like all, all through my growing up years, was probably one of my very best friends. I just, I loved to spend time with my grandma. But the truth was, she came from a very different mindset. And there were certain rules that she laid out for me. Chad, you are never to go to the movies. Chad, you are never to play with playing cards. Chad, you are never to dance. Those were just the way she thought, right? She knew I couldn't dance, apparently, right? But that was, that was the thing. So when my parents took me to the movies, she thought we were a lost cause. When I, when I learned how to play solitaire, I was an only child, when I learned how to play solitaire, she thought that was a horrible thing. And when I went to a dance in junior high at my school, she thought it was all over. Because here's how my grandma thought. If you go to the movies and Jesus comes back, what's going to happen to you during the rapture? And the only people that play with playing cards are gamblers. And if you dance, you will get pregnant. Like, that's the way she thought. Right? That's just the way my grandma thought. Now, look. Here's the reality. There are a lot of movies that Christians should not see. Amen? Like, she wasn't wrong about that. And some of you, throw them out. There are, no doubt, maybe we'll talk about this in the next couple of weeks. The Bible helps us to see that gambling is not a thing that's a good practice for a Christian. And the reality is there are some dances that Christians should not do. Can I get an amen? <laughs> but not everything needs a hammer. And the only tool that Agnes Gilligan had in her toolbox was a hammer. And what happens is that rules without reasons become irrelevant. So let's talk just super quick here today as we wrap up about this GPS, and then we'll, we'll dig into it in the next couple of weeks. Let's walk through those three parts. Letter G stands for God. The issue in the first century church was idolatry. These people had lived their lives where they had things that were more important to them. They had other gods. And he says, look, you gotta make a clean break from those gods. Don't touch anything that has to do with idols anymore because it's only gonna pull you further and further away from God. So when you come to a point where you have to make a decision, consider this question. Does this decision or action glorify God? If I do this, if I say this, if I go in this direction in my life, is this gonna glorify God? Is it obeying God? Is this pleasing to God? Is this something that represents God well to other people? Will they see God in my life through this? Is what I'm doing what God created me for? Colossians chapter three, verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Even more, and we'll, we'll look at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. We'll, we'll be here quite a bit in the next couple of weeks. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Sometimes people will, will say to me, I just, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do here. And a lot of times, we make God our fallback when things fall apart. We don't ask him what he thinks until things start to go off the rails. What if we asked him first? What if we use it as a GPS and the first thing is we're moving forward in decisions and choices and the things we do in our lives. What if we start with this and say, does this glorify God? Here's what I believe, that if you'll start with him, then your heart will be open to hear how the Holy Spirit can lead you. You must care about what God thinks to receive what God has to say. And if you wanna know what God has to say in your life, if you wanna know what God wants to do in your life, don't do it as a last resort, do it as a first step. 
and begin with this. God, this decision, this choice, this place I am in my life, does it glorify you? So next week, this is, this is where we'll kind of park in part next week. But understand this, there may be times when you've got to go, the way I interact online, the words I say, the, w- the way that I dress, is all of this glorifying to God in my life. The letter G in GPS is God. The letter P, anybody remember the letter P is people. It has to do with the people around us. Remember the concern was that when you come to church with other people, you might do something that offends one or you might cause someone who is a weaker brother to stumble. There might be someone who is younger in their faith or struggling in their faith. And you need to consider that the way that you live might make a difference in somebody else's life. Here's the question to ask. Does this decision or action encourage or discourage other people? This thing I'm doing, this thing I'm saying, is it going to affect someone else? Is it offensive? Is this respectful? Could this cause them to stumble in their faith? The reality is at some point I have to stop and realize that how I live my life affects how you live your life. Do you remember when you were in school? You seemed to always be the kid who thought it was funny that, you know, I, I remember back in the day we'd stand and we'd say the Pledge of Allegiance and when the teacher said to sit down, they'd pull the chair out from under somebody. Do you remember that kid? Some of you need to repent right now. And the teacher always thought that was a big deal. I can remember riding the school bus and there was always the kid that would stick their leg out and try to trip you coming and going. Do you remember that? I used to sit near the the back of the bus and have to sit with some kid I didn't want to, praise the Lord. And I was always kind of a tall kid in those crampy little seats that you get in and I was on the bus for a long time in the mornings. So a lot of times I would would want to stretch my leg out and I just kind of put my leg out into the aisle because I just, I didn't want to be cramped up. I was just kind of doing that. And every day the bus driver would say to me, Chad, get your feet out of the aisle. (laughs) Not that I remembered or anything, but she would say that. She would say that to me and she'd yell at me. And every day I'd be like, don't you tell me what to do. Like, you know, I'd have that kind of my, Chad, get your feet out of the aisle. What she never bothered to tell me is why she said that. It wasn't just because she hated me, which I'm sure she did, but that wasn't the only reason. The reason was, she didn't want me tripping somebody. She knew that when people would come up and down the aisle, they'd have a tendency, they wouldn't see my foot or my leg, and they'd trip over that. Now, if she had said to me, Chad, the reason I don't want your foot in the aisle is because you might trip somebody, that would have made sense. But instead, she just yelled at me, Nancy, why did you yell at me? But she would just yell at me (laughs) instead. Get your feet out of the aisle. But if she'd said, look, the reason your foot can't be in the aisle is because you're going to hinder and trip somebody else, then it would have made sense, and then I probably wouldn't have done it. Do you know what I mean by that? So many times what I need is not to be yelled at. I need to know why this makes sense. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Look, know this. The actions of your life act upon the lives of others. The actions of your life act upon the lives of others. When I was in college, I worked with a guy named Tim. Tim was a guy that had lived kind of a crazy life. He was probably in his late 30s, early 40s when I worked with him. He'd lived a crazy life. And a good portion of his younger life, he didn't remember because he was high. Then (laughs) he became a Christian. And Tim was just radically saved. Like the decision he made to follow Jesus Christ. I could tell you crazy stories about Tim and how Jesus changed his life. And I remember him saying to me one time, he said, you know, there's an awful lot of old rock and roll music from back in the day when I used to get high 
that I can't listen to anymore. Not because it's bad music, but because it affects me in a bad way. That when I listen to the old music I used to listen to when I got high, it tempts me to want to get high again, and so I have to stay away from that music. How would it have been if I had chosen to play that music around Tim? When I have been much of a friend? It's not that those songs were bad songs. It's that those songs affected him in a way that was very damaging to his life. And just because I wanted to listen to a song, was that reason enough to put him in a place where his spiritual life and maybe even his salvation could be in jeopardy? Does that make sense? There are times when I'm making a decision that I have to ask the question, does this encourage or discourage another person? GPS, letter G is God, letter P is people, the letter S, anybody remember the letter S is self. How does this affect myself? The whole point that they were bringing up here is look, we're asking you to stay away from these things because of how it affects you, because of what it does to your life, to how it helps you to grow closer to Jesus. And he mentioned sexual immorality, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks. Like where, where does this fit in? And in these times, in, in the Greek-influenced world, sexual immorality was everywhere. For many people, it was actually a part of their idolatrous practices. So this was, this was all over. And what James is saying is, look, stay away from the things that would take you away from God. Steer clear of sin. Steer clear from dangerous things. So if that letter S is self, what's the question that we ask ourselves? Would this decision or action cause me to be closer to or further away from God? This decision or action... Would it cause me to be closer to or further away from God? When you're making a decision, when you're considering this, ask that question. Let's say that this right here is God's throne. Let's say he's seated on it. And the truth is, in reality, as a Christian, don't I want to be as close to the presence of God as I can? True or false? <laughs> True. I want to be close to him. What happens, though, is sometimes I might go, well, it's not necessarily a bad thing, not necessarily a good thing, but I might just make a decision or a choice. It might even be a neutral thing, but it has the effect on me in that season of my life where it doesn't help me to be closer to God. It just, it just takes me a little far away. Now, he's still right there. I'm not, I'm not that far, but I might make a decision that I'm, I'm still close to God, but not, not as close as I was. And we do these things, and here's, here's the reality. Whether we're talking relationships, we're talking marriages, we're talking our spiritual walk, very rarely do we get to a point where we just go, I'm just done because we woke up one day. It's always kind of a small series of choices, isn't it? It's not leaps. It's usually just little steps to the point at which we realize, well, I'm a, I'm a whole lot further than I thought I would be. So then we make steps to go back but if we're not careful, we keep taking these little steps that either move us closer to God or further away from God. We'll unpack this here in a few weeks. But the question you have to ask yourself is, when I move on this decision, when I respond with this action, does it help me to be further from God or closer to him? The reality is, distance often happens by steps and not leaps. And we have to be careful about that in our lives. How do we stay close to him? So maybe there's things that I need to think about and consider as I live my life. There's a lot of questionable things in our world. We're going to look at some significant hot topics, and we've, we've kind of deliberately stayed away from them today because of where we're going to go in the next couple of weeks. But I really believe that this GPS, when you come face to face with the decision, does this glorify God? Does this encourage or discourage others? Does this help myself to be closer to God or further from him? That that framework can help you in an incredible way. And if you'll use it, it could make all the difference in some of your lives. Here's my commitment. I really believe this. Some of you need a GPS. 
to allow that framework of God, people, and self to help you as you make the decisions in the place you're in. Some of you are making tough decisions in your job and with your family. Some of you are making decisions about your own soul. Some of you just need this tool because as you're scrolling through Facebook or you're interacting with people on the job, you wonder, how does God feel about this? Where does this fit the framework of my life? And this GPS can truly help you. That's why we're gonna spend time these next few weeks to unpack this, look at it in the context of some current things because I believe you need this GPS. Our family had the opportunity the last couple weeks to spend some time in the Carolinas. We visited some friends out of town, spent some time at the beach. It was it was a really just good time for us, and we were, we were heading back, and on Thursday, we were driving home, and we were on our way through the, through the mountains of West Virginia, and it was about lunchtime. And we were all like, well, maybe let's, let's find a place. And I started looking. We were out in the middle of nowhere, and I started looking, and I knew that God loved us because we found an exit not that far away that had a Chick-fil-A. Can I get an amen? <laughs> so we decided that's, that's where we'll, the Lord has provided, right? And so we'll, we'll do this. Manna, quail, it's, it's right there, so it's good. So we're gonna do this. So I'm looking and I decided to use the GPS to look, Clayton's driving and I'm sitting in the back and I decided to look and see you know, kinda how far and just as I did, it showed that we were supposed to get off the highway. Even though we were a half an hour away from the restaurant, it showed that we should get off the highway because if we stayed on the highway, it was gonna be a difference of an hour, an hour more because of construction and difficulties that were happening on the highway. You know how someone out just kinda knows that? And so we decided, look, we're about a mile away from the exit. I says, Clayton, hey, man, why don't you, why don't you pull off? Because the GPS is saying this will save us an hour. And I'm all for saving an hour. Could save my soul, actually. So, right? So, so we pull off at this exit. We kind of whip off. And we start taking these backcountry roads out in the middle of West Virginia. I'm convinced these are places that no other human has ever been, okay? I mean, we were out in the middle of nowhere, and we're climbing these mountains, we're doing this, we're going around these bends, you can kind of look over and see your death on the other side, you know, it's like this stuff that's happening. But three times we crossed over the highway, and when we did, traffic was at a standstill. Now, I didn't do this, but I thought about it. Everybody else went that way. I was so thankful for the GPS that told us to do this. Now, be honest, I didn't like it. It was a little harrowing, the, the drive was a little crazy, it was raining at the time, and I just sat back, and sometimes you just gotta trust. And I was just like, country roads, take me home. <laughs> to the place I belong, Chick-fil-A, right? That's what I was thinking. <laughs> Some of you have no idea why that's funny. Uh, and then eventually we got back on the highway and we just whipped right through and we missed all of that. Do you think I was thankful for a GPS? You better believe I was because it helped us. It saved us a ton of time. It kept us from wasting so much time and energy. Some of you have even heard this message and you're kind of thinking, yeah, but I'm stuck right now in traffic. Or I thought I could do it on my own. You ever thought you could do it on your own? <laughs> I can remember driving one time. I know where I'm going. Then I hit that dead end and realized, no, maybe I don't. And I turned the GPS on, and all judgy-like, it was like rerouting, you know, telling me where to go. <laughs> but I'm so thankful that even if you're in a place where you don't want to be, today's a day where God's GPS can help you get back on track. It can make all the difference in your life. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to invite you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. And this just, this just between you and God, whether you're sitting here in this room or you're watching on a screen somewhere, if you'd say, God, there's, there's been something in this message that I needed to hear today, and, and now this week I need to act on that. I need to respond in a certain way. Would you just raise your hand? Just, thanks, God, I needed to hear that today. Anybody? Just between you and God, thanks, God, I needed to hear that. 
Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, how something that, that was written 2,000 years ago can so impact our hearts today. Jesus, thanks that you didn't make it hard for us to be saved. You knew that we'd mess it up, but that you, you made a way for us to be saved because of your grace through faith in you, Jesus. Some of us need to take that step today and just simply call on your name, ask you to be our savior, the one who forgives our sins, ask you to be our Lord, the one who gives direction to our lives. Today, Lord, we put our trust in you. God, over these next couple of weeks, we're going to ask the question, how does a saved person live? Lord, we thank you that you haven't left us just wandering. You've, you've given us a tool. So even this week, as we look at the, the things in front of us, God, help us to ask the question, does this glorify you? Does this encourage or discourage those that are in my life, the people around me? And Lord, as I make this decision, does it help me to be closer to or further away from you? Lord, as we use your GPS, as we unpack it in these next couple weeks, would you, would you guide our steps and speak to our hearts? Now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. God, would you send us out with your special favor, with your wonderful peace? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.